Welcome to Tech Talk Online, sponsored by Stratford University. You can listen to Tech Talk Live Saturday mornings from 9 till 10. Find us online at federalnewsradio.com or hear us on the radio in the Washington, D.C. area on the following frequencies, 1500 AM and 1039 FM HD 2. We thank you for listening to Tech Talk Radio. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now, here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I may or may not be Jim Russ. Okay, well, you look mostly Jim Russ. I do, but I don't sound like him. (laughs) I know. Coming up on today's show, Google is now blocking so-called annoying ads in Chrome, and we'll tell you how to unblock the blocker. We'll also tell you how to block cryptocurrency mining malware and a new trend terrifying new high-tech porn videos. In Profiles in IT, it's William Frederick Friedman, the Dean of American Cryptology. And, of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. No, it wasn't. Hang on a second. Uh, Mr. Big Voice, get back in here. Take the cigarette out Wait of your mouth. Pay attention. Just stamped out the Pall Mall. Here we go. There's a letter in your mailbox. Okay. Sorry, my... Fever-induced coma over here. That's 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 much better, Mister Big Voice. Playing her today. Yeah, we got an email from Jim in Bowie. Dear Doc and Jim, I've got a Windows 10 laptop, and recently the updates, the automatic updates, have failed to install properly. They installed properly until about four days ago, and then they, then everything since then has failed to install. What's the problem? Well, Jim, the failure could be caused by a couple of things. Uh, you know, when I checked around. Uh, First of all, you could be out of hard drive space. If you're out of hard drive space, that will that will stop everything in its tracks and nothing will install. So I would check your hard drive space. Secondly, the, there could be some corruption of your registry that can that that, that can uh, that can cause a uh, an install failure. Now, what I would recommend if it's uh, if it's a corruption of your registry is I would simply go back into a system restore back to the date prior to the last successful install. And at that time, your registry was okay. So something happened between then and now. And then I would just do that system restore and see whether that fixes the problem. Good luck. Let us know whether that works. We got an email from Susan in Baltimore. Dear Tech Talk, I enjoyed your journey to cut the cord. And I would like to operate without any pay. But I would like to operate without any paid streaming services and use only over-the-air television mm-hmm. and we're, and anything that I can stream for free over the Internet. What are my options? Because I'm only going to use free stuff. I'm not going to get any of these paid programs like Hulu or, or DirecTV now. Uh, what are my options? Well, first of all, um, Susan, if you want to stream uh, stuff over from the Internet over your TV... You either need a smart TV or you need streaming devices. Now you can plug uh, now three streaming devices that I've talked about earlier. You've got Apple TV, you've got Roku Ultra. I, I've got Apple TV 4K, so I could stream 4K video. Roku Ultra streams 4K video. You've also got Amazon Fire TV. These are all options. Those are very those are very convenient because you can download apps and you can. Those are the easiest to use. 
Now, you also have the option of Google Chromecast, but then the apps have to be downloaded to your cell phone, and you've got to then cast it from your cell phone to the TV, which is just a little bit more complicated, especially if you have guests. So I'd recommend you either have an Apple TV, a Roku, or an Amazon Fire TV. Now, there are some free movie sites out there. They've got a lot of movies, and they're absolutely free. How are they paid for? Through ads. Ah. They have ads on them, but you've got a wide selection of movie in these sites. You don't have to pay a penny for them. Here are a few of them. Freeform. Freeform has got a lot of movies on it, all ad-supported. You've got Crackle. (laughs) Crackle is a Sony product, all ad-supported. Lots and lots of movies. You've got The CW. Lots of movies on The CW, all ad-supported. You have Voodoo. Voodoo is actually a Walmart product. Is it really? Yeah. And um, Voodoo is, has got lots of movies, all ad-supported. And then, of course, you've got 2BTV, T-U-B-I-TV. All free movies, ad-supported. So you could watch free movies to your heart's content and not pay a penny with these, uh, with these particular streaming applications. And if you've got an Apple TV or a Roku or an Amazon Fire, you can download those apps right Right to that, uh, right, right to that device, and then you can play them, you know, right, right from your TV without any issue. Or if you're going to use the, um, if you're going to use the Chromecast, you can download those applications to your cell phone, and then you can, then they all, they all will cast using Chromecast to the TV. I just checked that out uh, last night. Now, if you are an Amazon Prime member, you get Amazon Prime Video for free. And that's got really good. They got a, some really nice series there and some nice movies. But you have to be an Amazon Prime member, and that costs you ninety nine dollars a year. But if you're already a Prime member, that's more free video. Now, one of the big holes for people that that are just uh, you know d- trying to cut the cord is you know where can I get you know news? Yeah, because mm-hmm. I mean you can get from over the air television, you can get local news, but how do I right. get national? So there are some free news sites that are pretty good. Sky News. Is a free site that's got international news. It's it's actually got very interesting. It, it's all British centric, but it's uh, got interesting articles in it. Uh, I kind of like to watch Sky News. Then there's Newsy. Newsy is um, is U.S. news, and they'll give you the you know the headlines of the day, and it's pretty much nonpartisan. It's you know you just get the straight news without all of the all the other talk, all the no bomb throwing. It's so it's actually a nice site, Newsy. You've got Newsmax TV, which is a news site that tends toward the conservative side. And then you've got Haystack TV. So these, and Haystack TV will actually play some of the local news from your local local station. So those with those four news applications, which you can also download, uh, you can put them on your i on your on your smartphone or or on one of these apps that mm-hmm. I talked about, and you can you can watch the news, and it won't cost you a penny. Well, you know, and I was just messing around here because I thought, you know, CBS has their own thing. It's called CBSN, yeah. which is their own online. Uh, I'm sure each of the mainstream networks do something like that. They do, but you but you, but you have to pay for it, or you have to you have to have a cable subscription to one of the services. Ah. So, um, yeah, so they'll they'll give you like little short segments free, but if you actually want to watch a show. You've got to basically link it to a paid cable subscription, or you've got to pay them something. Like CBS Now, it's going to cost you like you know, fifteen dollars a really? month. Really, I didn't know that. Yeah, you got to pay huh. for that. 
Yeah, so they're all trying to monetize their news. That's the of goal. Of course they are, yeah. So yeah. what they do, so so the news services, and they'll give you like maybe 10 seconds, they'll give you like a three-minute vignettes of shows, but if you want to really watch a show, you got to pay. So that's one of the disadvantages. We got an email from Valerie in Occoquan. Dear Tech Talk, I enjoyed your segment on cutting the cord. Oh, we got another person. Another one, yeah. another one. But now my problem is not my cable bill. My problem is my cell phone bill. Is there anything you can do to cut the cell phone bill down, just like you did on the cable bill? Is is she talking about data, or is it just the? She's just talking about her basic. So I'm sure she's talking about data and everything. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you, Valerie, cell phone bills have become an increasingly difficult problem because these vendors are just, they keep they keep adding on features, and, and your bill starts creeping up. Like, I have Verizon, and what they did, what, you know, I've got 10, 10, uh, 10 gigabytes per, you know, data limit per month, and one month I was at 9 gigabytes, so I was very close to the limit. So they voluntarily just put me on an unlimited data plan. But my bill went up $100 a month. Of course it did. And they said, well, we were just trying to help you because we thought you were getting in dangerous territory. And I didn't. I really didn't, didn't really notice it because right. I was on auto pay. So I got rid of that and I, because I, I never, I mean, my average bill is always much less than 10. Mm-hmm. And so I started looking at all of these data plans. And what they try to do is they try to hook you in with this free phone. But it's not really a free phone. Right. They charge you either – if it's an iPhone 10, they charge you $30 a month. They add $30 a month per phone to your to your phone bill. And then – and so the phone's paid for in two years. But if you don't upgrade the phone, you continue to pay $30 a month whether you upgrade or not. And so it forces you – to a two-year upgrade cycle, whether you want to upgrade or not. Now, now that sort of was, you know, that was the happy plan for Apple because they made their batteries fail in two years, mm-hmm. planned obsolescence. Then they also had this program where when your battery fails, they slow your phone down, so then your phone's not very good. And then you got to get another and then, phone. And then you got to, but now, but now the gig's up on that. People know about that. So now I got my iPhone 6s. I'm not going to get – I'm going to keep it another couple years. I'm, I'm with you. I'm so in the same boat. I'm going to take it to the Apple store after the big rushes through on battery replacements in Change March. I'm going to take it in April, and they got the, the program for $29. You can get a new battery, and I'll keep it for another, for another couple of years. That's what I'm going to do. But here is the deal. Here's how you can get a deal with these carriers. See, the carriers started – a few years ago, reselling their networks at Walmart, and they've got like Walmart's got Straight Talk, and you can get a prepaid, you you can get a plan, basically a prepaid plan at Walmart for like forty five dollars a month per phone, and it's like ten gigabytes, and then you can get it at Walmart. Well, if you really search down and look at the plans at Verizon and at AT and T and these carriers, they also have prepaid plans, but they don't tell you about them, so. What you want to do is get a prepaid plan, and that's the word, prepaid plan. It, it may be hard to find it on the uh, on their website, and they're going to try to sell you a fully paid plan. And just buy your stinking phone. <laughs> just buy your phone. Don't mix up the phone purchase with the plan. Right. Keep them separate. So I went to Verizon 
and I could get, for $45 a month, I could get 10 gigabytes of data, unlimited text, unlimited minutes for $45 a month per phone. So I could have two phones, and that would be $90 a month, unlimited text, unlimited minutes, and 10 gigabytes each. That'd be 20 gigabytes. I'm currently paying $160 for only 10 gigabytes for both phones. Mm -hmm. But you see, they have built into it this This, subsidy for for the, the new phone. For the new phone. So you can get a good deal with the carriers if you go to prepaid and then there's no contract not if it, it, there's no contract and if you don't like the carrier just switch carriers and that is the way to go they've done that in Europe and Asia the whole rest of the world is on the prepaid system and they just buy your phone only in America have they have they have this conspiracy to have you get a free phone and then you've got to get a new one every 2 years because Apple wants to sell a new phone every two years. It's basically a conspiracy between the carriers and Apple, it's I think. It's free, not free, is what it is. It is It is definitely not free. And then, you know, I talk to people that I have this plan. They're so pr- They say, well, I'm not going to spend $100 and upgrade my phone. But, of course, they're spending $600 every two years for a new phone. They're just mm-hmm. not getting it. Right. And quite frankly, the carrier is just very happy that you don't upgrade the phone. And they'll just, just, and they'll just, the money. They'll just pocket that money. So decouple this. Now, now Walmart did have a deal. Now, if you can't afford the money to buy the phone, which I mean, most people can't can, can afford to buy the phone, but if you can't afford to buy the phone, Walmart was actually allowing you to buy the phone with a Walmart credit card at 0% interest. Ah, okay. All right. So you could go there, and you get at 0% interest. You buy your phone, give a two-year payment plan on the phone, which, of course, you have to pay it off, but then when you pay off the phone, the payments end, and you've just got the you've just got the plan. So Walmart's also kept the purchase of the phone separate from the plan. So uh, I would, um, what I would do is I would check the Walmart plan first, because you can use that as, as to sort of a price point that you want to compare, and then you go to your carrier of choice and get the prepaid plan. I'll be talking about my experiences because I'm planning to do that when my contract is up mm-hmm. in, in May. Okay. And I'll let everybody know how this worked out for me <laughs> because I know there are going to be some issues when I deal with of Verizon. Co- well, because they will do everything they can do to keep their meat hooks in you. They are going to do that. It's the same thing when I when I went down to get my $60 cable bill. I mean, I had to, right. I was It was a project. We got an email from Jacob in Ashburn. Dear Tech Talk, I was given an old Windows 7 laptop for school. Now I'd like to upgrade it to Windows 10, but the free offer to upgrade to Windows 10 has expired. What are my options? Enjoy the show, Jacob from Ashburn. Actually, that's a pretty good question, Jacob. Uh, the good news is that the Windows 10 free upgrade, is a, it, even though it's officially over, you can still get Windows 10 free. Now you cannot get you cannot use the Windows 10 tool to do the automatic upgrade from within Windows 7, Windows 8 or Windows 8.1. But what you can do, you can download the Windows 10 installation media from Microsoft. Go to the Microsoft site, download the Windows 10 installation media, and then as you're installing Windows, it will ask you for the product product key. You can put in the product key for your Windows 7 machine. 
And so you just, if you got the product key for your Windows 7 machine, you just put it in, and Windows 10 accepts that product key, and it says this, it will check whether it's a valid product key, and it will validate your Windows 10 installation. And that's uh, actually quite nice. Now, chances are, if you have a used laptop, and you don't have the documentation, you don't have the product key. That could be an issue. And the product key is actually embedded in the registry, but it's encrypted. So it's kind of tricky to get. But you can download a free program to get the product key. And the, the name of the program that's really good is the Magical Jelly Bean Key Finder. <laughs> the Magical Jelly Bean that's Key Finder. That's pretty funny. You only would hear about that on Tech Talk. Of course you would. <laughs> you download this free utility. It retrieves the product keys from the registry. It does all the product. It does the Windows product key, the Microsoft Office product keys, all the product keys, as well as from non-Microsoft product keys. It gets them and, and gives you a little list of all the product keys. And uh, and then you just basically take the Windows 7 product key, pop it in there to the when it asks for the product key, and bingo, you're you're good to go. So I think you're going to have no issues here upgrading to Windows 10 under the assumption that the hardware will support it. So check the hardware requirements for Windows 10 to make certain your laptop will meet those requirements. We got an email from Lynn in Ohio. Uh-oh. Yeah, this is the Ohio bunch. Dear Doc and Jim, can I use any any charging block to charge my cell phone? You know, I've got the wire that plugs into right. the cell phone, but then the USB thing plugs this little charging block. And I got all these charging blocks all over the house. Can I just use any one I want, or do I have to use the one that specifically came with my cell phone. Like the the, the issue is it is a um, an iPhone block different than something you use on an Android. Yeah, that's right. That that would be the issue. Well, actually, most most chargers are pretty much the same. They're either five volts at one amp or five volts at two point one amp. Those are the two standards. Okay. And it turns out the five volt for one amp are used for like smartphones. The five volt for two point one amps are t you know might be used for iPads, something bigger. Okay. But you can you can use either one. I mean, you could take the one amp charger and use it on an iPad. It would just charge slower. But if you use an iPad, a 2.1 amp iPad block on an iPhone, your iPhone will charge faster. It's oh. actually it's. But it won't damage it. It's not going to damage it at all. And you could use it for your Android too. You could use it for anything. Okay. Yeah, all you right. could use it for anything. And in fact, all of the phones have protective circuitry, and they detect whatever voltage is in there. They've got internal protective circuitry. The only issue is that some phones have what they call these quick charge features. Yeah. Okay. It turns out that the quick charge features are different for different cell phones. If you use a block that's that that with a quick charge feature that's not supported by your phone, it, nothing's nothing's going to hurt your phone. It just won't quick charge. It'll just it'll just charge slower. Okay, so here's the question. Uh -huh. I just went to my bag and pulled out all one of the, one of the many white iPhone cubes I yeah, have. Yeah, that's a, that that would be a one amp. That would be. How a, would you know the difference between a one amp and a two point one? The 2.1 is bigger. It's bigger. Oh, it's it's, that's bigger. the bigger one. Yeah, the okay. bigger one is 2.1 amps. Okay, that's a, that's, that's, a, that's, that's a, a one amp. amp. That's All a right. one amp. Yeah, I was going to say, well, there's nothing on there that says that, but it's the size matters. Yeah, in phone that, it okay. does. So that's a, that's a five volt. Go. That's a five volt one amp, and and so you you can basically interchange those charging blocks. Okay, at will. Now this is a different story for laptops. Yeah. Okay. Use the official charger for yeah. your laptop because oh, yeah. those batteries have all sorts of different issues in them. Uh, they've got different voltages. They're not quite as they're not standardized as much as we have for iPhones and smartphones. So, 
pretty much stick to the same charging equipment for your laptop. Gotcha. That was really a good question. We got an email from Lois in Kansas. Dear Tech Talk, we watch lots of Netflix movies at home, and we were recently told that our data usage is going to be capped by our Internet service provider. Oh, that's, that's uh, not that is a bummer. How much data do we use when we watch a Netflix movie? Good point. Enjoy the show, Lois in Kansas. Well, the data depends on the resolution of the movie, Lois. Okay, most videos that you play on Netflix uh, run at about 23, 24 frames per second. I mean, they also have some that will operate at 59 frames per second. Most of the movies run at 23 frames per second. So if you've got a a movie, which is, say, 480 progressive, 480p, that runs around 792 megabits per hour. If you've got 720p resolution, that's 1.3 gigabytes per hour. If you've got 1080p, this would be HD, that's running around 2 gigabytes per hour, about 1.9 to 2.55 gigabytes per hour. If you're running a 4K video, this is the Ultra HD, that's between 3.5 gigabytes per hour and 7 gigabytes per hour. I mean, that's a quite that's a, a big, lot of difference. Yeah, that's a big that, difference. Yeah, and so... And so if you're, you've got a data cap, you're going to want to keep you, you enjoy your movies but at lower resolution. Now, you can go into Netflix and you can set high resolution or low resolution. And the problem is if you set it for, say, medium resolution, it will make everything media resolution, even your HD. You might want to just have your 4K at, at, at HD, but you don't want to take your HD down below. Right. So you might leave your Netflix at... Um, at high resolution, but then go to your streaming box. That would be your Roku or your Apple TV, and you can adjust the streaming box to say, look, I want the maximum streaming rate to be 1080p. And that way you can actually restrict the streaming rate right from the streaming box so that Netflix isn't going to draw a 4K movie. Because I tell you, that 4K movie is a killer. You want to, If you've got a data cap, stay away from the 4K. And that would be the best way to do that. So you can adjust the the maximum streaming that you get using your using your either your Roku, your Apple TV, or your or your Amazon Fire TV. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu. We'll get back to you in the next show. We might answer your email immediately if it's an emergency. Tech emergency. Yes. It is Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio. This is 1500 AM, 50, uh, 1035 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2, Federal News Radio. More of Tech Talk in just a minute. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. Ready to make a real difference in 2018? A degree in cybersecurity, digital forensics, or networking and telecommunications could help you secure your future as you help secure the world. Stratford University is now enrolling for career-focused IT degree programs on campus and online. Let Stratford's experienced IT faculty share their industry knowledge and practical solutions to help you succeed in today's most sought-after IT fields with accelerated classes and year-round program starts to help you 
earn your degree faster with demand at record high levels for cybersecurity. Digital forensics and networking telecommunications careers, now is the time to act. Stratford makes it easy, turning your qualified experience into credits earned, and if you're a vet, they'll help you maximize your military benefits. Get complete details and register today at stratford.edu slash 18IT. That's stratford.edu slash 18IT. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for... Profiles in IT. Yes, today we're going to feature William uh, Frederick Friedman. William Frederick Friedman is known as Dean of American Cryptology. He was born Wolf Frederick Friedman, September 24th, 1891, in Moldavia, Russia. His parents were Jewish. He was Jewish, and they were persecuted in Russia quite severely, and they left and moved to the U.S. His family moved to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in 1892. And they changed his first name from Wolf to William. Ah. So then he became William Frederick Friedman. Friedman was introduced to cryptography by the gold bug. This was a short story written by Edgar Allan Poe. Actually, this was Edgar Allan Poe's first short story that he made money on. Because he was always he was trying to break into writing. And he, and he sold this short story to the newspaper... And they paid him $100. That's the most he'd ever received for anything. And they published it in the paper in three installments. And the gold bug actually was based on an encrypted message. Uh, he found he was walking on the beach, and he found a bug. And his friend gave him a piece of paper to wrap the bug in. And he took it home. And he was looking at the piece of paper when he got home, and he was near the fireplace. And when he got the heat of the fireplace, it turned out he saw some invisible ink in this piece of paper. And there was, it was an encrypted message. Huh. So he he ended up working to figure out what this encrypted message meant. And he finally figured out what it meant. And it turned out that this located the place where there was a secret pirate treasure. <laughs> so that's why it was the gold bug. He found the bug, and then that led him to the gold. And uh, and so that's what he first got him into this interested in cryptography. He ended up studying at Michigan State. He got a bachelor's degree. And he was, he was actually doing some sort of graduate work in genetics because he was interested in genetics because genetics is sort of coded messages, biological yeah. coded mm-hmm. messages. So he's interested in genetics. Uh, he received a scholarship to Cornell to get his doctorate in genetics. But then before he could go to Cornell, he was offered a job at Riverbank Labs. A guy had a local lab there, Riverbank Labs. He he met him while he was in school. And in September 1915, 1915 he went to Riverbank Labs, Labs to start working there. And they put him as head of the Department of Genetics. <laughs> so he said, well, shoot, why get a Ph.D. at Cornell? Mm. I'm already head of the Department of Genetics. So he stayed there. Now, one of his first projects, because he was interested in cryptography, 
One of his first uh, was to find secret messages in the poetry of Sir Francis Bacon. Now, Sir Francis Bacon did a lot of coding of messages. And what he would do, he would would have two fonts and... And using uh, the by which where he would place the two fonts in the message, he could actually have a message inside of a message. Interesting. And so he would he would he might have a bold font and a light font, and the the message was was broken up into blocks of five characters. So you just take whatever you've written, break it up into five characters, and within each five character, you just say, is it is it font A B A A B, and then you could and then he had a lookup table. Mm-hmm. And so he started looking for messages in Sir Francis Bacon's uh, um, writings. It's like early binary code. It turned out his future wife, Elizabeth, was also working on the same project. So they started working on, on bacon coding. <laughs> mm, bacon. Bacon coding together. And she was also interested in cryptography. And so they uh, they hit it off because... You know, not often are you going to meet some. Are you going to date somebody no. who's also interested in cryptography? But you know what? Their love notes really weren't probably all that they romantic. Had, they had encrypted love notes. <laughs> I'm telling you, their love notes were encrypted. Oh God! They just wouldn't write a simple love letter. They would write something and then it would be encrypted using. That's pretty kooky. Using even well, I get even the tombstone had encrypted messages. Oh, you're on kidding it. me. Yeah. So they were just... i got to go look that they, up. They were just into encrypted messages. Look up the tombstone of William Friedman, the, the, um, the, the encrypted message there. Now, he soon became director of Riverbank's Department of Codes and Ciphers, as well as the Department of Genetics. Now, while he was there, he wrote a series of 23 papers on cryptography, including the first description on something that became very significant, the index of coincidence. And that turned out to be, the index of coincidence turned out to be a very major factor when you're trying to decode something. Because if you say, if you look at just any kind of uh, writing in English, you're going to notice that there's that the letter A shows up quite frequently, the letter B shows up less frequently, the letter Z shows up less frequently. And the letters have a you know, a, a frequency index relating to each one of them. And so if you start looking at frequency correlations, you can you can get a hint as to which letter is where. And so he wrote a paper on that. And uh, Riverbank ultimately became the unofficial cryptographic center for the United States during World War One. Now, Friedman's, the Friedman's, this is Elizabeth and William worked together. The Friedman's broke the code for the German-funded Indian radicals in the U.S. who planned to ship arms to India to gain independence from England. They had some German-funded citizens of India living in the U.S. who were raising money, and they were going to ship armaments to India when they were fighting for independence from England. And uh, I think the U.S. didn't apparently didn't want that at the time, and so they actually broke the code of these Indian radicals. Now, based on the success of that, the U.S. decided to set up its own cryptological service. To support the program, Friedman wrote a series of technical monographs, and he completed seven of them by 1918. Now, he enlisted into the Army 
during, this was because of World War One, and he went to France to serve as the personal cryptographer for General Pershing, who was a general during World War One. He returned to the U.S. in 1920 and published the eighth monograph. In 1921, he became the chief crypto analyst for the War Department. Friedman coined several terms, including cryptanalysis. During the 1920s, he analyzed and cracked cipher machines based on using typewriter mechanics and basic electric circuitry using statistical analysis. This was where you'd have a typewriter, and there might be uh, wheels on it, and you would type a letter, and then the wheels would spin around, and you type the next letter, it would there would be a different corresponding letter that would come out the other end. And each in between each letter, these wheels would spin, and then you could and the machine would actually encode it in a much more sophisticated way than the Bacon code. Uh, and he started looking at these machines. In 1939, the Japanese introduced a new cipher machine for their sensitive diplomatic traffic. Uh, it was called Purple. That's because all the messages that were sent using this machine were kept in purple file folders. Aha. And it used a different and much more difficult method because he was able, using his uh, using his statistical analysis, he was able to crack these cyber machines if they weren't randomized enough when they reset their position between letters. That was the issue. So Friedman figured out how to crack these machines because they didn't have sufficient degree of randomness. And so he developed another machine, Sigaba. He called it SIGABA, S-I-G-A-B-A, and it was immune to his attacks because it was it it actually had three it had fifteen spinning disks, three banks of five, and they and and the first random the first disk would spin and they would trigger the second disk to spin, trigger the third disk to spin, and it was very hard to reverse engineer this because there was no. Um, because the starting points were extremely random, and, and, it, and it didn't lend itself to this statistical analysis. So this became a very, uh, a very good way to send messages. Uh, but it was a complicated machine. In 1949, he became head of, the Christ, uh, head of Christ, Christographics at the, US, at the Armed Forces Security Agency, AFSA, and in 1952, he became the chief, the chief cryptologist for the National Security Agency, NSA. They started the NSA in 1952, and he was the chief cryptologist. He actually, uh, you know, what he did in, um, in, in World War II, you remember the, the Germans had, had a machine, a crypto machine called Enigma, and that actually had two two rows of five spinning disks for the cryptography. And um, what, what, he, what he did, um, remember I said they broke the code purple that, that was used by the, by the, um, by the Japanese to, uh, you know, to, to send their ciphered messages for diplomatic traffic. He broke the code, but then he figured out how to build the machine and he discovered that, that, that they were using um, relays like, our intelli- like in telephone systems. So he actually built a machine that could replicate the purple code. And he went to 
uh, Britain, and they gave Britain a copy of the Purple Machine so that they could decrypt the um, the Japanese messages. And at the same time, the British gave them the Enigma cipher machine, which was being used by the Germans during World War II. And it turned out that uh, because the German cipher machine only had two rows of spinning disks, that um, William Frederick Friedman was able to break that code if he'd want to, but it had already been broken by the by the British. But his method of SIGABA, S-I-G-A-B-A, with three rows of, of spinning disks, had so much randomness that, that nobody ever broke that code, as far as we know. Um, Friedman produced a classic series of textbooks, Military Cryptoanalysis, which, was used, which were used to train the NSA students. He encouraged the NSA to develop supercomputers to do further code cracking. In 1956, uh, he retired in 1956 and died in, in 1969. By the way, after he wrote that series of, uh, of textbooks on cryptoanalysis, the military felt they were so classified that they came to his house and, re- and removed all of his notes. They wow. said, they said this, the, the classification is, is too high for to keep this stuff at home. So they took all of his, all of his notes took it in and locked it up there at, uh, at NSA. He died in 1969 after a long illness. Now, Elizabeth placed an encrypted message on his tombstone. And if you read this long encryption on the backside of the tombstone, and they use the bacon coding technique, it says, knowledge is power. And if you look very closely, it's in two different fonts. Yes, it's in two different fonts. And the other thing that was interesting, when his... Uh, cryptographic class had their class portrait they had some of the people looking directly to the camera and some people looking askance not looking beside the camera and those correspond to two different fonts uh-huh. and they had a cryptographic message embedded in the in, in the, the class in the class portrait okay so do you know <laughs> what knowledge is power was meant to be no. No. Okay so okay so you break it up into five letter uh-huh. segments yes. and you use the ABB uh, uh-huh. code it's his initials, WFF. Wow. So that's so the the large so, so the large poem was knowledge and power, and then they wrote knowledge and power again in English using the two fonts, and that and was and when you take knowledge is power, and that and that and was you, his and, you, and you break it up into the five uh, you know five letter segments. Wow. You have one letter left over, the R. That's right. and it, it's code for WFF. Wow. So it's two coded messages on his tombstone. Yes. Very Isn't good. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it is. So th- this is how they communicated. Uh, Friedman has been inducted into the Military Intelligence Hall of Fame, uh, and there's <laughs> and and there's a building named after William and Elizabeth at the NSA complex at Fort Meade. Which is really funny when you consider there was a time when the U.S. government would say, the NSA, what's that? Yes. They, they wouldn't even acknowledge they the would, existence they, of the NSA. And now not. there's a uh, an intelligence hall of fame. That's right. So now you know everything you need to know about William Frederick Friedman, the Dean of American Cryptology. Fascinating, fascinating, fascinating. <laughs> Hope you're paying attention because your knowledge, which is also power, could also be <laughs> knowledge is food. So hang on for the pop quiz here on Tech Talk Radio. Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, 1039 FM HD 2. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. 
Ready to make a real difference in 2018? A degree in cybersecurity, digital forensics, or networking and telecommunications could help you secure your future as you help secure the world. Stratford University is now enrolling for career-focused IT degree programs on campus and online. Let Stratford's experienced IT faculty share their industry knowledge and practical solutions to help you succeed in today's most sought-after IT fields with accelerated classes and year-round program starts to help you earn your degree faster with demand at record high levels for cybersecurity, digital forensics, and networking telecommunications careers. Now is the time to act. Stratford makes it easy, turning your qualified experience into credits earned, and if you're a vet, they'll help you maximize your military benefits. Get complete details and register today at stratford.edu slash 18IT. That's stratford.edu slash 18IT. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell. The security guard at the front desk, featuring Mr. Big Voice, with musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band, and your host, Jim Russ. Thanks for joining us this morning. We're about to play the pop quiz, your chance to see that lunch sometimes is free. We just spoke of William Frederick Friedman in Profiles in IT. He's the Dean of American Cryptology. Today's question, when he died, Friedman's wife, who shared his passion, had this engraved on his tombstone. If you can answer today's question, please pick up the phone and dial us now, and don't use code. If you're calling from west of the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. Calling from east of Playa del Shirts, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. If you're reading tombstones in, get it up. Call us on the wildcard line, 877-936-9333. And of course, the encoded international line is 877-9-3639-333. Andrew Mitchell, our adjunct professor for price distribution and crowd control, standing by to take your calls, so dial now. Yes, let's talk about the new Chrome browser. Google yes. now blocks ads, but they only block annoying ads that show up uh, in your browser. You see, Google makes money by having ads. So if they block all the ads, their revenue goes kaput. Mm -hmm. So they want, but they realize that ads are getting more and more annoying. So they created a browser that blocks annoying ads. And ads that are not annoying, they let through. How do you determine what is or is not annoying? Uh, they made the initial cut. But then if they receive, you can complain about an ad, and if they receive enough complaints on an ad, they'll declare it to be annoying. Okay. And there are actually ad standards that they have released so that vendors can bring their ads into compliance. And so if you're using Chrome, you can update your browser today. I went in and I just updated my browser uh, this morning at 3 a.m. Uh, <laughs> because you get full speed on the uh, Internet. Exactly. I had Chrome 63, and then Chrome 64 is the latest version of the browser that does the ad blocking. 
And this new feature will block some of the most annoying types of ads, including videos that autoplay and pop-up ads. And how do you like these big sticky ads where they sort of cover the entire screen and sort of darken it, and they leave it there for a certain length of time, and then you can go to the article? That's also blocked. Mm -hmm. So the ads that people just get fed up with are being blocked. There are also a bunch of mobile ads that they'll start blocking. Now, they're using standards that have been put together by the Coalition for Better Ads. This is an industry group that includes Google, Facebook, and Microsoft as part of its members. Now, I think this is very good initiative because the fact is websites that create good content have to earn money. You can't expect them to write this content and put it out there totally for free. No. And, of course, users don't like to go behind a paywall because... They think now everything on the Internet should be free. So there has to be a way for vendors to earn money for their ads. And so simply by changing the behavior of the vendors, changing the type of ads, making them less annoying, it becomes better for the, the user so you have a better experience and ads can still get through. So I think this is an excellent, uh, an excellent uh, deal. And so it's uh, Google reported as of February 15th, that 43% of the sites that had uh, ads that would be blocked have fixed their ads to conform to the new standard. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2, on the web at stratford.edu and federalnewsradio.com. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. Ready to make a real difference in 2018? A degree in cybersecurity, digital forensics, or networking and telecommunications could help you secure your future as you help secure the world. Stratford University is now enrolling for career-focused IT degree programs on campus and online. Let Stratford's experienced IT faculty share their industry knowledge and practical solutions to help you succeed in today's most sought-after IT fields with accelerated classes and year-round program starts to help you earn your degree faster with demand at record high levels for cybersecurity, digital forensics and networking telecommunications careers now is the time to act stratford makes it easy turning your qualified experience into credits earned and if you're a vet they'll help you maximize your military benefits get complete details and register today at stratford.edu slash 18 it that's stratford.edu slash 18 it if it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. Now you may want to ask, if you're using the Chrome browser, how can you disable the new ad block? Oh, uh, yes. You know, of course, you may not want to have it always on. You may want to turn it off. And it is possible to actually disable it. I was trying that out this morning, too. And uh, although I have to say, I started using Chrome this morning after I got the new ad, and it is wonderful. You, you go to a site that would normally have a, a video that would just start playing music, and there's no music. The music's blocked, so I don't have this sound coming out when I don't want it. It was just, 
it was actually a much more pleasant experience. So if you want to disable the ad blocker, you go to Chrome's setting menu. That's the three dots in the upper right-hand corner. Click on that. Then you choose settings. Then once you're in the settings menu, scroll down to the bottom and click advanced. It's very small. It's kind of hard to see. It's mm-hmm. in the middle, very down at the all the way down at the bottom. Once you click on advance, you're going to scroll down some more to get something called the section called privacy and security. And then in privacy and security, you click on content settings, and then you scroll down to something called ads, and then you can toggle this ad blocking on or off. Now, it may be that you just want to allow ads for a particular site, and you actually like them. I mean, I like the, the, the blocking, but maybe there's a site that you go to, and they might have some ads that you'd like to see. So you can actually go down, and you can what you can do if you want to allow a site, you don't do that. In settings, you go to the site you want to allow, and then you go up to the, um, to the place where the URL is typed, and just to the left of the URL, there'll be a little... Bubble. They call it a bubble. It's just a small circle. Click on the bubble, and it tells you how you want to treat that site. And so you could you could click on that bubble, and then you could go to site settings, and then, then you could under the site settings you could say that you want to allow ads. So you can actually go to a particular site and allow the ads, even though you block them everywhere else. It's it's quite a nice feature. This new the new Chrome browser. I'm going to probably use it more mm-hmm. and more because it makes browsing so much more pleasant. Now, you've heard about this crypto mining software problem. What websites have been doing, they'll put malware in the ads. You go to the website, and then the ad will deliver malware to your computer, and you'll be mining cryptocurrency while you're on the website. And then they're trying to earn money, you know, you know, mining Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies. And now the... The thing is, it would be nice to be able to to make certain that you're not mining cryptocurrencies while you're going around, and so it's because it's become a, kind of a major problem out there. Now, so some sites are actually, and I'm going to explain what add-ons you can put in your in your browser to to block these cryptocurrency miners. Now, some sites are actually using crypto mining as a way to replace ads. So, for instance, Salon.com. When you go there, they give readers an option that you can opt out of advertisements if you let them use your CPU to mine for Monero, which is a cryptocurrency that's easier to mine than Bitcoin, and has a current market cap of $4.6 billion. So that's not a bad trade-off. You go in there, and they give you a choice. Will you let us use your computer while you're surfing the web to mine uh, cryptocurrency? And then they make money on the uh, uh, using your CPU to to make cryptocurrency. Then you don't have to be bothered with ads. Actually, actually, that's not, a bad idea. that's not a bad idea. Now the problem is, where there's a way, there's a crook. I was going to say security. There's a crook. Well, there's there's a problem now because now now that now that there are methods for actually implementing cryptocurrency mining on your computer, now sites are doing it without permission. And they're actually putting it in a hidden window so that even when you go off the site, the mining continues. Mm -hmm. So it's beginning a bit of a problem. And so anti-malware software for Malwarebytes and IT security firm ESET both have warned of JavaScript files that use the CPUs of visitors to mine cryptocurrencies without their knowledge. So... 
So the first thing that you can do uh, in order to protect yourself is to disable JavaScript on specific sites. If you don't trust a site, just disable JavaScript. And then they can't use these scripts to do the mining. Now, the problem is is that uh, disabling JavaScript is a pretty aggressive way to deal with it because many websites won't work without JavaScript. For instance, Facebook will not load without JavaScript enabled. So, you know, the sites, many sites just become dysfunctional if you don't have it. So a better way to do it would be to install an extension which is designed to block mining. And there are four extensions that are currently out there. No coin is one, no coin. And it is an extension that will work on Chrome, Foxfire, Opera. There's Miner Blocker. No, Miner Block. Miner Block. That's also an extension that works on Chrome, Foxfire, or Opera. There's the Anti Miner that works on Chrome. And there's the Coin Hive Blocker that works on Chrome. So so you've got basically all of the extensions are there for all the browsers except Internet Explorer. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now these extensions work by blacklisting known domains and known domains and mining scripts and they're regularly updated and are among the best hands-off approaches to block mining. So I would highly recommend that if you're worried about it. There's a new kind. Of, i got to talk about this high-tech porn. And I, I can't find our cheesy porn music. Yeah, okay. This is very, this is high-tech porn. It's called deep fake videos. Oh, jeez. Deep fake videos. I mean, this actually, there's a serious problem here that, that I want to, that I want to bring up. They're combining. As soon as you, you know, you can bring on the porn music or the the anytime, yeah. anytime you. I'm want. working on it. He's working on the porn music. It's 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 not right on the top tier here. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not. We don't get a chance to use it much. It doesn't come up very often, but you know when it comes up, well, we're ready eventually. <laughs> this okay. I got to keep my finger on the dump button here. Here okay. we go. Cheesy porn music okay. coming along. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Okay. Deep fake videos. This is where you combine artificial intelligence and machine learning to help create movies mm-hmm. in various ways. But not all the applications of machine learning and AI are really that benign. And really they're called deep fakes. What they're doing, they're combining deep learning, which is machine learning, to make fake movies. Uh-huh. Programmers will take an existing video, maybe an existing porn video, and then they'll take images of celebrities or public figures or anyone, and they use AI and deep learning to put those figures into the porn movie. That's just wrong. The movie looks ultra-realistic. It looks like the Hollywood star is actually appearing in the adult film. It is so... And so if, if somebody would just look at it casually, not that I would. No, never. At 3 <laughs> o'clock in the morning. Never. Never. But you look at it casually, you would think that the porn star actually appeared in it. But here's the danger. And this why I'm bringing it up. Revenge porn. Oh, right. Yeah, sure. This is a huge problem. Mm -hmm. A programmer can insert in an ex-girlfriend or an ex-boyfriend into a porn movie and share it on social media. Who would ever do that? 
And deep fakes are not difficult to program. The source code is freely available. Recently, this became such a problem that Reddit and Twitter have banned deep fakes. Wow. Deep fake porn. Driverless trucks are coming. Look out. Yeah, a convoy of self-driving trucks recently drove across Europe and arrived at the port of Rotterdam. And this development is going to transform trucking. Look at this. Shipping a full truckload from Los Angeles to New York costs around $4,500 today, with labor representing 75% of the cost. I didn't realize that truck drivers took 75% of the cost. They make a lot of money. Yeah, labor, 75% of the cost. Now, in addition, drivers are restricted by law from driving more than 11 hours per day without taking an eight-hour break. A driverless truck can drive 24 hours a day. That means that the technology could effectively double the output of the U.S. transportation network at 25% of the cost. And these savings become even more significant when you count on fuel efficiency gains. You see, the optimal cruising speed from a fuel efficiency standpoint is around 45 miles an hour. Now, since truckers are paid by the mile, they want to go fast. Mm -hmm. So they burn up a lot more fuel. And uh, furthermore, the fuel efficiencies with a self-driving fleet really helps because you get this this platooning technique where the trucks follow each other closely in each other's draft. So you basically can reduce the amount of drag, and only the front truck actually has to has to punch through the air. Now, this will also create safety benefits. I mean, this year alone, more people will be killed in traffic accidents involving trucks than in all domestic airline crashes in the last 45 years combined. Interesting. You know, it's because it's a, you know, truck drivers sometimes fall asleep. At the same time, more truck drivers are killed on the job. 835 truck drivers are killed each year on the job. I actually didn't know that. So the demonstration in Europe shows that driverless trucking is right around the corner. Now, Mm -hmm. the primary barriers remain regulatory. Now, what we have to do is create on- and off-ramps so that human drivers can bring the trucks onto the freeway where the highway autopilot can take over. You see, they're not really driving around town. They're just on highways that Mm -hmm. have got the markings. They also need dedicated lanes because there's going to be a slow move. They're going to be slow-moving driverless trucks at 45 miles an hour that are so close together it's almost like a train Mm -hmm. driving down the road. And that would be a hazard for the drivers, and so you're going to want to have the special lanes for it. But this is going to be transformational. So there you go. Driverless trucks are coming. I think it's going to sound like this. Whoa. (laughs) Could be. Yeah, I don't know about this idea. Thanks for joining us this morning. Tune in next week for more Tech Talk Radio. Heard every Saturday at 9 on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, and 1039 FM HD 2. On the web at Stratford.edu and federalnewsradio.com. Have a great week. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.